a common question I get from my grandchildren when they are at our house is, Grandpa, let's play trapper. And so I come up with all kinds of new ways to trap them. And of course, they always get away. I don't know how that works. They always get away. Well, there's a trap that the scripture speaks about. We just read from First Timothy chapter six. The, the love of money leads to a snare, a trap. And so we turn this morning to Ecclesiastes chapter five, beginning at verse 10 through verse 20. And on this uh, Labor Day weekend, as we think of work and money, here's the challenge that is given to us in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Our text begins at verse 10. Let's bow in prayer as we begin. Father in heaven, we thank you. We praise you that you are our God, our Savior. You're the one who gave your life for us. You are also the one that provides for us. I, I pray, Lord, that we would rest in that truth today and and that we would avoid the money trap, the, the desire to be, to be rich and wealthy that leads men to, as your word says, ruin and destruction. So I pray, Lord, that you would teach us now as we open your word. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Many years ago, there was a British ship by the name of Britannia that was wrecked off the coast of Brazil. And in the hold of that ship, there were many barrels full of uh, Spanish gold coins. And they were trying to save those coins. They brought them up on the deck, but the, the storm was so bad, the ship was actually breaking to pieces. And finally, they had to abandon the ship and get in the lifeboats and save their lives. And there was one uh, sailor who was asked to go back and make sure that there was nobody left on the boat before they all left in the lifeboats. And so he went on the boat and he, he found this guy with a, with a hatchet in his hand and, and he was breaking open these barrels of Spanish gold coins. And the sailor came and said to him, What are you doing? Don't you know the ship is about to sink? And his response was this. He says, It may go down, but I've been poor all my life and I am determined to die rich. What a fool, huh? What a, what a fool. You know, there are many people in our culture today that are determined to be rich. And yet Solomon tells us in this passage of Scripture that we look at this morning that there are some problems with that determination. It is nothing more than a trap. And there are three reasons for that that we can notice in this passage this morning. The first of all, one is this. That the more we get, the more we want. Isn't it interesting how that works? The more we get, the more we want. If you were to ask ten people how much money it would take for them to be satisfied, you'd probably get some different answers. Some might say, well, if I had ten thousand bucks, I'd be happy. Others would say, no, if I got a hundred thousand dollars, that would make me happy. Some might even say a million dollars or more. But if you were to give each person exactly what they wanted, there would probably be a common response. As they walk away, what do you think they would say? Probably something like this. I wish I would have asked for more. <laughs> Isn't that the way it is? I wish I would have asked for more. Isn't that the way human nature is? The more we get, the more we want. And that's what 
Solomon says in the first verse of our text, verse 10, he says, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with its income. This, too, is vanity. He who loves money will never be satisfied with what he has. But that's only part of the problem. Not only is it true that the more we get, the more we want, it is also true that the more we get, the more others want. Because they struggle in the very same way. Look at verse 11. He says, When good things increase, those who consume them increase. So what is the advantage to their owners except to look on? So when your wealth increases, people want you to share it with them. They want more too. We see this in the political world, don't we? I remember when Bill Clinton was president, he talked about taxes as broad-based contributions. (laughs) Of course, he wanted the government to have more money so he could use it as he saw fit. Barack Obama said, spread the wealth around, right? Remember that? Spread it around. Why? Because when wealth increases, there's others who want to have a share of that. A man who had won the lottery a few years ago said, I never realized how many friends I had until I won the lottery. Well, if he had read his Bible, he would have known that, right? Proverbs 19, verse 4 says, Wealth adds many friends, but a poor man is separated from his friend. Proverbs 19, 6 says, Many will seek the favor of a generous man, and every man is a friend of one who gives gifts. Interesting, isn't it? Why? Because the more we get, the more we want. That is so built into our human nature, isn't it? The more we get, the more we want. If I just get a little bit more, I'll be happy. Really? Really? The more we get, the more we want. How about this one? The more we get, the more we worry. Is that true? Verse 12 says, The sleep of the working man is pleasant. Whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich man does not allow him to sleep. Now, the contrast that Solomon makes here is interesting because it's probably the opposite of what we would expect. We would expect that the rich man can sleep well because he has everything that he needs. And the poor man would not be able to sleep well because he doesn't have all these things. And yet, Solomon says it's the opposite. The poor man is able to sleep, but the rich man doesn't sleep very well. Why is that? Well, it appears as if Solomon is saying that a rich man can't sleep well because he eats too much. And there's probably a truth to that, right? You eat too much before you go to bed, how well do you sleep, right? Your stomach is churning just trying to deal with all that food. And so there is that truth. But the reference here to the full stomach is really a broader one. More literally translated, it would read, The abundance of the rich will not allow him to sleep. In other words, the more things that you possess, the more you have to worry about, don't you? The more you have, 
the more concerns you have with either preserving what you have or taking care of what you have. And so the rich man has more to worry about. There is a solution to this, however. The solution is maybe it's time to give some away, huh? The rich man to give some away. To be rich in good deeds. That was what we read from 1 Timothy chapter 6 this morning, where the warning was given that they who desire to be rich fall into a trap. Many foolish and hurtful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. But then Paul speaks to those who have wealth. And here's what he says. Verse 17 of 1 Timothy 6, Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Generous and ready to share. When you are rich in blessing others, then you spend less time worrying about your own things because you aren't thinking about yourself. But the person who loves money just can't bear to do that instead of giving it away. Solomon says there are those who hoard it, who stockpile it. Verse 13, he deals with that. He said, there is a grievous evil which I have seen under the sun, riches being hoarded by their owner, to his hurt. Now that sounds quite contrary to the way the world thinks, right? Keeping what you got and yet that hurts you? He thinks it will bring him gain, but it actually brings him pain. Just the opposite. You know, hoarding money hurts people socially. Who likes a hoarder? Who likes someone who just is so stingy they won't give anything? Hurting or hoarding money hurts people emotionally. You can't be emotionally healthy when all you can think about is yourself and your money. And how about spiritually? Those who desire to be rich and those who are just hoarding all they have, it's a trap that plunges men into ruin and destruction. John D. Rockefeller was once asked how much money was enough. He said, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. The more we get, the more we want. The more we get, the more we worry. And then thirdly, Solomon says, the more we get, the more we have to lose. The more we have to lose. You know, many people see money as a form of security. Have you ever had a financial planner come to talk to you about financial security? I've often told them, I said, there's no such thing. (laughs) Because it can be gone just like that. If you're putting your trust in money or your 401k or the things of this world instead of Jesus, you're on shaky ground. Because that money can be gone just like that. Notice verse 14. When those riches were lost through a bad investment and he had fathered a son, then there was nothing to support him. Remember a few years ago when all these dot-com companies were just 
becoming more and more wealthy. And what happened? The bubble burst and wow, it was gone. Just think of how many people had invested in those companies and thought, wow, this is great. You know, 100% yearly returns on some of those companies. And then the bubble burst and boy, it was gone. It was gone just like that. And painful, painful for, for a lot of people. Proverbs 23, verses 4 and 5 says, Do not worry yourself to gain wealth. Cease from your consideration of it. When you set your eyes on it, Solomon says it's gone. For wealth certainly makes itself wings, like an eagle that flies toward the heavens. If you look at the dollar bill, you'll notice there's an eagle on the back of that. There's a bird on the back of that. Which should be a reminder to you that those dollars, what do they do? They fly out of your wallet in your pocket real easy, don't they? It's hard to get them in, but boy, is it easy to get them out, right? Especially with uh, debit cards and credit cards. It's just plastic, you know, just put it in there and, you know, that doesn't hurt. You get the bill, right? Flies out like an eagle. It has wings. But even if we don't lose our money through a bad investment, what's going to happen when we come to the end of life? Are we going to take any of it with us? What does Solomon say about that? Verse 15, as he had come naked from his mother's womb, so will he return as he came. He will take nothing from the fruit of his labor that he can carry in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Exactly as a man is born, thus will he die. So what is the advantage to him who toils for the wind? How do you answer that question? What's the advantage? Nothing, right? If you come into this world with nothing and you leave with nothing, why are people toiling and toiling and toiling to accumulate all these things? Like one man said, I've never seen a U-Haul behind a hearse. And then um, one time I did actually see that. Still, are you going to take it with you, right? As you came into this world, so you will leave. See how depressing it is for the one who lives for money? How discouraging it is for the one who strives after the things of this world. He isn't happy without it. And if he gets it, he isn't happy with it. So why do we strive after all the things of this world? So what is the proper view of money for the believer? Instead of loving it, should we hate it? Should we despise it? Well, one might expect Solomon to say this, but that isn't his conclusion. Well, we shouldn't be chasing after wealth. If God chooses to bless us with good things, we ought to, first of all, be generous with them. And then enjoy what God has given. Look at how he ends this section. Verse 18. He said, here is what I have seen to be good and fitting. To eat and to drink and to enjoy oneself in all one's labor in which he toils under the sun during the few years of life which God has given him, for this is his reward. Furthermore, as for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth, he has also empowered him to eat from them and to receive his reward and rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. 
For he will not often consider the years of his life because God keeps him occupied with the gladness of his heart. So what's the lesson there? Does God want us to feel guilty because he's blessed us? I don't think so. He wants us to enjoy what he has given us, being good stewards of what he's given us, being generous, but also enjoying the gifts that God has given us. Enjoying them through, as he describes in verse 18, the few years of life which God has given. And you know what? The older I get to realize that the life is, is short. There's few years. I'm in my 60s now, and it's just like yesterday I was 40. Two days ago I was 20. And if you young people don't believe that, wait till you get 60. You look back and say, where on earth did that go? The few years of life that God wants us to enjoy. So do you enjoy life? <laughs> the blessings that God has given you? Uh, some people can't enjoy life because they think enjoying life is reserved for the future. When I retire, right? Then I can enjoy life. What if you don't ever retire? What if you don't get that far? Enjoy what God has given you, how He's blessed you. And then... Recognize that whether you have much or little, the ability to enjoy life is a gift from God. And this is what Solomon has clearly made known in this book several times. Look back to chapter 2, verse 24 and 25. He says, There is nothing better for a man than to eat and drink and tell himself that his labor is good. This also I have seen that it is from the hand of God. For who can eat and who can have enjoyment without Him? What's the answer to that? No one. It's found in a relationship with God. It's not found in things. Chapter 3, 12 and 13 says, I know that there is nothing better for them than to rejoice and to do good in one's lifetime. Moreover, that every man who eats and drinks sees good in all his labor. It is the gift of God. We saw it in verse 19 of our text. As for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth, He has also empowered him to eat from them, to receive his reward, and rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. I love what Philip Reichen says about this. And listen carefully. He says, The world that God created is full of many rich gifts. But the power to enjoy them does not lie in the gifts themselves. Did you get that? The power to enjoy them does not lie in the gifts themselves. This is why it is always useless to worship the gifts instead of the giver. The ability to enjoy wealth or family or friendship or food or work or any other good gift comes only from God. Satisfaction is sold separately, he says. So the God-centered verses at the end of Ecclesiastes 5 call us back to the joy that we can only find in God. The person who finds the greatest enjoyment in life is the one who knows God and has a relationship with Him through Jesus. It all comes back to Jesus, doesn't it? It all comes back to a relationship with Him. It doesn't matter how much or how little you have because true joy is found in the giver of every good gift. 
I've known people who have everything that this world could offer and they are miserable. They don't enjoy life. They don't, they don't understand because they don't have a living relationship with God. They think that these things are the source of their joy and they are not. They will never be. They will never satisfy. Only Jesus Christ can satisfy. So I want to ask you today, do you know the giver of every good gift? Do you know Jesus? Jesus is the only one who can satisfy your soul. No one else can. Nothing else can. Only Jesus. Lanny Wolf has written this song. The world may try to satisfy that deep longing in your soul. You may search the world wide over, but you'll be just as before. You'll never find true satisfaction until you've found the Lord. For only Jesus can satisfy your soul. Only Jesus can satisfy your soul. Only He can change your heart and make you whole. He'll give you peace you never knew, sweet love and joy, and heaven too. For only Jesus can satisfy your soul. And he goes on to say, If you could have the fame and fortune, all the wealth you could attain, yet if you have not Christ within, your living here would be in vain. There'll come a time when death will call you. Riches cannot help you then. So come to Jesus. Only He can satisfy. Only Jesus can satisfy your soul. Only He can change your heart and make you whole. He'll give you peace you never knew. Sweet love and joy. And heaven too. Only Jesus can satisfy your soul. Let's pray. Lord, would you cement that truth into our hearts today that there is only one place, one person that can satisfy our soul, and that is Jesus. Lord, help us to avoid the trap, the money trap that is so tempting in this world to think that just a little bit more, More money, more things would satisfy when none of them ever can or ever will. Lord Jesus, thank You that You are the one that satisfies. You are the one that forgives our sin. You're the one that gives us hope for the future. You're the one that gives us joy in this world. Thank You, Jesus. You came to give us life that is abundant, life that is eternal, life that is free. For we pray in Your name. Amen.